Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, happy Monday, and welcome to another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Da, 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 da. What, what, what tune was that? Was that the Doe of the Dawn? Tune. No, no, no. <laughs> it was the Doe of the Dawn. The Doe of the Dawn. How did you know? I don't know. I just felt like, you know what? I think he's going to come out with the Doe of the Dawn. That, that you were right on. Now, you're a prophet. Uh, no, we don't do that. Okay. No. Well... Nope. Yeah, that no, that was a, that was meant to be a celebratory, like, hey, new week and new podcast. Yes, this is a time for you to be excited. Okay, so here's a question: New week, you mentioned Monday. Do you conceptually think of the week as beginning on Sunday, or do you think of it as like it's Monday and Sunday's the last day of the week? I think of Sunday as the last day of the week. Yeah, me too. I started that when I started working at Compass because we have Mondays off. Right. So it's our weekend. So in my mind, Sunday's the last day of the week. Right. Well, and and I think probably a lot of people think that way because our work week starts on Monday for the majority of people out there. So I, think I think Sunday's the beginning of the week for them though. Even with that. But I, I never, even growing up, I never thought of it that way because Monday morning you're getting up, you're going to school. Like it's yeah. still the weekend. Like even the way that we describe that weekend is Saturday and Sunday. But every calendar you see has Sunday as the start of the week. And I think that that picture still kind of sticks in your mind. But you can edit that if you go into preferences. You can choose your well, day of the week to start on. Up until recently, there was paper calendars that you couldn't do that. <laughs> <What>? No, <laughs> you, you just get it. scissors and you cut it out and then you... <laughs> you went through a lot of trouble to do that. Huh? I didn't actually, okay. no. But I was just curious about that. I, I've, I've often thought of Monday as the first day of the week, but it's not. Hmm. Sunday is. Sunday. Yeah. yeah. The Lord's day. Yeah. But was it always? Was it always the Lord's day? The first day of the week. No, because Jesus died 2000 years ago. Right. Before that, there was no Jesus. And Sunday was just Sunday and it wasn't a significant day. You know, the calendar has gone through a few changes over the course of history. So I think there, there were, you would need to go back even further to say, okay, how did we account for time before Christ himself? I mean, that's a big point to make too. Most people don't realize that our calendar, maybe they do realize this. We're trying to erase that now by calling it common era and right. before common era. I but feel like nobody's doing that though. I, some people are. Some people are. They're, they're doing that thing. And I know that they're really trying to push that. But before Christ and after Christ or in the, the year of our Lord, Anno Domini. Anyway. Yeah. Calendars. Yeah. Something like that that gets interesting for a little bit. And then you're like, yeah, I don't care. I'm over it. Yeah. Like when I was taking Greek in seminary, I was always wondering, well, why does it do this? Why did, why did they make that change? Why do you add this part? And my professor was like, well, you should major in Greek. Then I was like, Mm. yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not that interested. If you don't have a simple answer for me, I I don't really care. that. Or even an intriguing answer. A good teacher will answer enough to get you more interested. Right. Yeah. My, mine didn't. (laughs) So there you go. Figure it out yourself, buddy. Yep. Hey, we're in Psalm 41, 42 and 43 Mm. today. I like these ones. And then we're in Acts chapter 24. Yeah, some different perspectives, especially on Psalm 42 than I think some people might have traditionally on that psalm uh, when we really begin to look at what is it saying there. Right. But first, Psalm 41, because 41 comes before 42. 42. Yeah. This is why you went to seminary. Right. 
Yep. Because Sunday comes before Monday. Mm. So it's the first day of the week, not mm. Monday. And 41 comes before 42. Yes. I see that doctorate coming out. There you go. Well, in Psalm 41, it really kind of the theme here is that God cares for the weak and the downtrodden. And uh, it's, a, again, a Psalm of David here. And the, the plea here is just for the God for God to intervene um, and God to relieve the suffering. Uh, be gracious to me. Heal me. Again, verse 4, notice, for I have sinned against you. So this theme of David's suffering under the hand of God's discipline is continuing. Um, but he does have enemies that, that are there. My enemies save me in malice. When will he die? When will his name perish? When is he going to finally be gone, in other words? And David is just pleading with the Lord, and yet he comes back to this confidence in verse 11, but I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout and triumph over me. And so David anchors himself still to this confidence, which yet again, as we've said before, is the thing that differentiates David from Job. David would grieve. David would mourn. David would cry out, how long, O Lord? Yeah, God, when will you bring relief to me? Um, and yet he he had this abiding confidence in God that he never lost sight of and that he always held fast to, at least in the Psalms as he was writing these things. Yeah, in the first few verses, when David talks about, blessed is the one who considers the poor in the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. Um, two thoughts I had. Number one, I mean, this is a challenging subject. If you're thinking, if you thought at all about, well, how should we be caring for the poor today? Because I certainly want God to deliver me. I want God to protect me. I want God to keep me alive and to call me blessed in the land. I want all these things. Um, I have a recommendation for you uh, for a book that you would do well to read if you care at all about how a Christian should responsibly care for the poor today. And the book is called When Helping Hurts. Uh, one of the book. authors is Fickert. I forget the other guy's the other author's name. Do you have to remember? There's two authors on it. One's Fickert. But there's only one book called that, so maybe that's okay. Yeah, go look for the book. Find that. Uh, it provides a framework for how to think about serving the poor and the marginalized, those who have uh, either by choice or by by providence found themselves on the other end of a d- difficult situation. Go Steve Corbett. Corbett and Fickert. That's yep. the one. Okay, so that would be the first thing I would suggest to you. This is not an easy answer. It's not as simple as if you see a panhandler, always give them money. I know that in some podcasts, and um, one I can think of in particular, a very popular one that says, hey, if you see it, it's better to be wronged than to deny someone a, a blessing like that that God wants you to be a vehicle for blessing of. And that's true. That's That's definitely something to consider. But I would also say that a well-thought-out answer to this would require you to do a little bit more digging than a simple answer to that. Secondly, uh, David seems to be talking about himself here. He's the one who's considering the poor, and therefore God is blessing him and protecting him. But it's also not just about David. This psalm also has allusions to Jesus himself. Yep. Yep. Verse 9. Even my close friend whom I trusted and who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Yep. That's Jesus. And he would be referring to... Judas. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Helpful. Great resource. I would commend that as well when helping hurts. Uh, Steve Corbett and uh, Fickert. Uh, 42. We get into, you'll notice book two. Again, the book of Psalms is, is broken out into four, five, books. five books. Thank you. Um, you don't need to put a whole lot of consternation or thought into that division, um, but you'll know in your Bible's book two, that's what it's referring to. This is a different set of of, of uh, psalms here um but you'll notice there's a different author here and that's part of the reason why for the differentiation of the books is there's there's some different authors in some of these books uh but here it is the sons of korah so maybe you've always thought well david wrote the psalms 
because that's what we say most often. And that's because he wrote the majority of the Psalms. There's at least 73 out of the 150 that we can directly attribute to David. But there's others that probably he wrote as well that just don't have a, a superscription that attribute them to David. But here we've got one that attributes it to the sons of Korah. Pastor Rada, who were the sons of Korah? They are the progeny of a man named Korah. <laughs> Thank you. Male progeny, to be specific. You could be as good as the fact book is in Lagos. <laughs> Let me just tell you that. Hey, hey, hey. Let's not besmirch Lagos. Lagos has a couple bad ones in there, but most of all, it's really good. I looked it up earlier. I said, who are the sons of Korah in Lagos in the fact book? And the answer was a group of men whose father was Korah. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Well, then who is Korah, Hot right? takes at Lagos. And, and this is where Lagos comes in handy because I, I was wondering, okay, well, then who is Korah? And so there's... There's a hyperlink to Korah, so I could click on Korah, and Korah was one of the Levites, and so the Korahites, or however you Korahites, Kohathites, um, Kohathites, yeah, too. if you want to pronounce that, uh, they when it says the sons of Korah, this does not mean his immediate sons, but the the descendants of Korah, right. and so Korah had the the Levitical role of they they would be the gatekeepers at the tent of meeting, and so they were there to, to we have gatekeepers. Yep, we do have gatekeepers. The control who was let in and who was in inside and, and to kind of protect and keep order. Apparently, they were also bakers at for the, the tent of meeting. They prepare the mm-hmm. bread and things. But a big role that they had, and this is what we read here, is they were the songwriters. And so they would, along with David, uh, write the, the worship songs for the nation of Israel. And we had the, some of those, at least, recorded in uh, the Psalms for us. And so in Psalm 42, we have one of those. And it's familiar in its language. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. As the deer right? pants for. And yet when I, when I was reading the psalm, I was thinking about that psalm going, or that song, thinking to myself, man, that, that doesn't. It doesn't match. It doesn't match. If it was a death metal song, it would be a little closer. It, yeah. Yeah, David is desperate here. This is not a feeling of intimacy like Sandy Patty and, and, <laughs> and Jesus, like right? Um, of like singing these these super spiritual nineties, you know, contemporary Christian songs. Which were great. Which which had their place. This is David desperate. Look at what he says in verse three. My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? David is lamenting here. He's saying, I'm desperate for God and I can't find him. Similar to Job, right? And he's saying, I, I want him. Where is he? And yet David picks up this refrain that he's going to hit in Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, which I love because he preaches to himself. He says, why are you downcast on my soul? Hope yeah. in God. So he's even in the midst of his circumstances, he's telling himself, choose to believe and trust and hope in God. And he says that there, he says it again in verse 11, and he says it in Psalm 43, verse five. In fact, Psalm 43 and Psalm 42 probably were one Psalm at one point. And, and there's, there's commentators out there that will treat it that way as well. But David is saying the suffering of God is overwhelming him. Even verse seven, deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls, your breakers wash over me. He's, he's drowning in the, the, the suffering here that he's going through. And he, he recognizes again, that it's, it's from God. He gives a, a, a parenthetical a statement of hope there though. In, uh, in verse eight, he said, by day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me. But then he returns to the suffering. Verse nine, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? And so David is going back and forth, just lamenting and suffering here. But this is just, a, it's, a, it's different than that 90s era pop song that we, <laughs> we would sing in our churches. Um, 
you alone are my strength, my shield. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's just, it's it's a good song. It's just not the right tune. We should rewrite it with the proper emphasis and proper uh, context. Because even the, even the first line that they quote, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you. A deer pants after running hard right. away from an enemy, you know, away from a predator. So if David were to do it today, and sing that song, he would be out of breath. Number one, right? It would sound. It'd probably have a few diminished chords in it to make it feel like, oh, this is tough. I'm struggling. Help me, God. But I do think that the the constant refrain in these two psalms is, just, is beautiful. Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him. My salvation, totally. and my God. I love that. Who doesn't love that? Right. That's the best part of the song. Right. And it speaks to us to remind us that we have the ability within us to hope in God. He's he's commanding himself. Choose. Not to focus so much on your circumstances so that you are only awash in despair, a la Job, mm-hmm. but instead choose to put your hope in God. Choose to trust God, right? And that's a good reminder to us because when we are up against it, no matter what it is, we still, because of Christ and the spirit within us, have the ability to choose to hope in God because we know that our future is going to be secure with him. We know that we will have the streams of living water. We know that we will be with him. We know that we will be satisfied. It may not be here and now. It may not be in any of those 400 weeks or whatever that we have 4, to live. 4,000 4, 4, weeks that we have to live on this earth, but it's going to come. And so we can choose now to put our hope in God. And probably one of the biggest points of that about that is how we approach that. The way that we choose to hope in God is to direct our attention to what is true. Verse three, Psalm 43, three, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Don't let my emotions lead me. Don't let my circumstances lead me. I want your light. I want your wisdom, your truth to lead and guide me where I really belong, which is in your presence, worshiping you for who you are. And actually, that verse was key in the naming of our church, Compass Bible Church. Oh. Yeah. As the word of God being the compass for us and the guide and, and the, the direction for us as we seek to walk in a, obedience in accordance with, uh, with God's will in our lives. Amen. Well, we're in Acts chapter 24, and we last week or yesterday um, oh, wrapped where, up. Where have you been? <laughs> yeah. Last week. Wait, wait, wait. What? Uh, it, it, well, is Monday. So if, if oh, this is the first day of the week, it was, it last, was last week. I but it's not. Doing. Yeah. yeah. Acts 24. So Paul's in Caesarea Philippi. He's in prison. Um, Ananias, you remember from chapter 23, verse 2, he comes back. He follows. I mean, like this is how hot on, on Paul's trail they are. And it makes sense. If they've taken an oath, hey, we're not going to eat or drink until this guy's dead. He's probably really hungry. Yeah. He's like, okay, hangry. fine. We're going to go <laughs> up to Caesarea because we we're need hangry. to eat. <laughs> and they... They lay the case there uh, before um, before Felix, and they bring Tertullus with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The lawyer Tertullus. Yeah, and he comes and he's the one who speaks up. Verse five: We found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world. And he's a ringleader of the sect of Nazarenes, and he even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. And so, hopefully, you can discern, reader, the, the number of lies just in the, these charges here. They're, they're trumped up charges; they're not true in any way, shape, or form. Is there a subtle jab in there when he calls them the Nazarenes? Is he trying to say like, "Hey"? These rabble rousers from no place, from nowhere. They're trying to make up a new thing over here. Certainly, right? I mean, remember the response of Philip when he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Um, and so he, Tertullus is capitalizing on that reputation. It, totally, yeah. And so he's, he's it's a pejorative term um, that he's lobbing out at them for sure. Mm. But then 
Paul gets an opportunity to reply and Felix looks at him and says, okay, what do you have to say? And he says, I cheerfully make my defense. I love the contrast there. You've got the Jews that are just seething and angry at Paul and lobbing all these charges at him. Because they're hungry and thirsty. That's why they were so short (laughs) in the, in the words too. Right. We just can't, we're parts, man. Sorry. Right. And and he says, look, what they're, what they're saying is not true, but he says in verse 14, but this I'll confess to you. I'll, I'll let you know. This is what I've, I'm here about. He says, I'm here because of, of the way which they call a sect. I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets. So he's even, he's jabbing back at the Jews now saying, you don't even believe what you, what you think you believe. Right. Your law, your prophets, it, they pointed to what I'm preaching about. Right. Having a hope in God that they, these men themselves accept that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. And so it's going back and forth here. And, and I, I got to imagine Felix is, is kind of, he's probably got some, some tired head at this point, trying to wrap his mind around you know, this religious ongoings Why and everything else. About this? What does it even matter? But it says in verse 22 that he had a rather accurate knowledge of the way. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? About this foreign pagan ruler. And, uh, and he, he puts them off and he, he says, look, once Lysias gets down here, I will decide your case. And he gives orders that, that Paul should be kept in custody, but he gives him some liberties. He's kind of under house arrest at this point. So he's, he's not guilty of anything. Right. Exactly. <laughs> in, uh, verse 24, it said he sends, uh, Drusilla is there who was Jewish and he sent for Paul and, and had him speak about his faith in Christ. And he reasoned about it. And he said, look, uh, when I get uh, an opportunity, I will summon you because I think Felix is feeling some conviction maybe at this point and mm. doesn't want to deal with it. So he sends Paul away and uh, at the same time, hope that Paul would bribe him. And so Paul's there for two years, just kind of squandering away in this, this prison cell there and under house arrest and coming out from time to time to, to talk to Felix as Felix wants to be entertained by him. And, uh, and then it says at the end, they're desiring to do the Jews a favor. Felix just leaves Paul in, in prison. What a jerk. Yeah. Well, okay. I want to point out something that you probably have noticed by now, and it's that Paul continues to come back to one theme everywhere he goes, and it's that theme of the resurrection. One of the things that I've learned when I was talking to people in their baptism testimony, you know, ask, okay, what's the gospel? Give me a sense of how you understand the gospel. Believe it or not, Pastor PJ, and maybe your experiences are similar. One of the things that I found people most often forgot to bring up is the resurrection. Right. Yeah, totally. I, you know, it blows my mind thinking, how do we, that's pretty important. Like if we don't have a salvation, if we don't have a resurrection and they would kind of sheepishly laugh with, oh yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. I, I don't know how I forgot that. And I think that that's, that's something that you ought to remember. Our, our, our faith really legitimately is built on the resurrection. If Jesus is not raised from the dead, then our faith is vanity. It doesn't count. We're playing a game here and ultimately we have no hope. That's kind of summarizing 1 Corinthians 15. Paul, my own paraphrase. Uh, so that's an important thing. Don't miss that. Paul keeps on coming back to the resurrection because it's critical to what we're talking about here. And that's what makes Paul a believer in the first place. He sees the risen Christ resurrected. He's now commissioned by that Christ and he's out there doing the Lord's work by repeatedly preaching about that resurrection. Right. And and the reason is, is because if Christ doesn't rise from the dead, then there's some sin that he was guilty of himself that kept him, kept him dead, right? But his resurrection is that validity of the, the sacrifice being accepted by God, that there was no sin to hold him down, that he mm. himself was was guiltless. And so it's that resurrection that that is the the seal of approval, his, right? His ministry. Yeah. And, and that's why it's so important for us. Now, 
there's a little bit of a growing trend within modern Christianity to point to the resurrection and say, well, that's the most important thing. And that's, that's the thing that we need to hang our hat on as the, the primary evidence for Christianity. Forget about apologetics, forget about the inerrancy and authority of scripture. All we need to do is defend the resurrection. We, we don't need the rest of it. The resurrection is what really matters. Let's just focus on that. Are you talking about a certain pastor who's east of us, who has a very large congregation, who may have had, may or may not have had videos that have been very provocative and heretical. <laughs> I, I was thinking of, there's a, there's a, a seminary professor, Michael, Michael Icona, oh, okay. who has yeah. written a book on the resurrection. That's, that's helpful, but he's also recently come out and said, look, it doesn't matter if the Bible's inerrant or authoritative, as long as we can demonstrate that the resurrection is true. That's what our faith hinges upon is the resurrection, not the authority and inerrancy of the scriptures. Cut your feet out from under you. Totally. Because how do we know anything about the resurrection apart from the scriptures? Yeah. Right. Interesting. And, and so that's the point. So yes, the resurrection is, immensely important. Don't forget when you're sharing the gospel with somebody, it has to be there because we worship a living savior. And that's the whole reason why he's our savior is because he's alive. A dead savior is not a savior at all. Mm. Um, and so include the resurrection. But if you're listening to people that are championing the resurrection at the cost of scripture saying, Hey, quit worrying about proving scripture to be the actual word of God. As long as we've got the resurrection, that's what our hope is in. That, that's an oxymoron because we don't know anything about the resurrection without the scriptures. So Amen. can I ask one question here? Verse 27 for chapter 24, Paul yep. spends two years in a house arrest, some kind of prison situation here. How do you think Paul dealt with the fact that he had wasted two years of his life sitting here unjustly accused, unjustly, or I mean, detained. How do, how do you think he dealt with that? What do we do with that? Well, I think we go back up, um, in verse 23, where it says he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. And so we know that Paul was productive in jail. In fact, we have letters that he's written that are included in our New Testament that are the prison epistles that he was writing while he was in jail. So Paul's in prison, but he's not sidelined from ministry. He's not sitting there going, well, this is a waste of my time because I just have to twiddle my thumbs and play my Game Boy while I sit here and wait for somebody to let me out. Whoa, whoa. Paul had a Game Boy? <laughs> <laughs> for sure he did. Um, no, but he's d- doubtless, and, and it's one of the, the the read between the lines in scripture that I wish we had more of, right? Because we don't know everything that was going on during those two years, and it ends up being longer than that even. Um, and it w- would have been great if, if we did have that information. We didn't. What we do know is that Paul wasn't sitting there bemoaning his circumstances going, woe is me. In fact, you even think of, of Philippians. You know, he's preaching the gospel to the, the Roman uh, jailers that are um, that are holding him there, and he's making sure that that they're hearing about Christ. And so he's still he's thinking of himself as a missionary, no matter where he is, and he's doing the work of the ministry that's before him, no matter where he is. Awesome. I, I just wanted to point out there. I mean, as far as we can tell from the text, Paul's not complaining about this, right? The the sidelining, if we can think of it that way, is God's ordaining work. He's doing this. God's at work even in our delays, even in our detainments. Man, God is working. And and clearly, Paul's aware of this. Paul knows that God's orchestrating all these details. And Christian, he's doing the same for you. Don't doubt that. Right, right. In fact, yeah. And I, in Philippians is dealing, I think with his Roman imprisonment, not necessarily this imprisonment, but still there, people are, are thinking that he is feeling sidelined because remember they come to him and they're like, Hey Paul, these guys are preaching Christ over here and they're getting a following. Do you want us to go do something about that? And Paul's got that amazing statement where he says, look, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ I'm is just, proclaimed. I'm rejoicing that Christ is being proclaimed. That's right. So he doesn't have 
at all any shred of a, a mentality of going, man, this is unjust or unfair that I'm sitting here and those guys are out there. And no doubt, Paul's praying. That was one of his best ministries. I mean, he records some of his prayers. At, I mean, you get the sense of here's how he prayed for people. Right. This dude is at work. Prayer is not doing something other than the work. Right. Prayer is the work. Right. I mean, Paul is praying, certainly in addition to writing letters and connecting with people, but man, he's praying and he's making great strides because of that very thing. Totally. Totally. Well, good. Well, we are through Acts chapter 24 and uh, tomorrow we will be in Acts chapter 25 and we'll be back in the Psalms as well. But we're grateful that you tuned in for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. See you tomorrow, Bible readers. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. (laughs) 